Do you ever struggle with remembering details from your travels? Then I've got something special for you. How would you like a better way to keep track of all the things you see and experience in Scotland? A way to keep those special memories and all the details fresh for years to come. My new Scotland travel journal might just be what you need. It includes daily journaling prompts to help you start writing about your day, lots of space for doodling and notes, prompts to reflect on your trip overall, and suggestions for things to do that help you make more meaningful connections with Scotland. There's also inspiration for your travel bucket list, a map to draw your route, space to keep track of your travel details, and some Gaelic and Scottish phrases to try while you're here. All you have to do is print out the journal, fold the pages in half and start writing. The Scotland Travel Journal is the perfect companion for your upcoming trip to Scotland. Find it in the Watch Me See online shop or visit the link in the show notes. And now, let's get on with the show. Hello there, and welcome to Wild for Scotland, a podcast full of immersive travel stories from Scotland. I'm your host and storyteller, Cathy Kamleitner. Wild for Scotland helps you connect with Scotland, its people, wildlife, landscapes and histories. In every episode, I either whisk you away on a beautiful adventure or introduce you to inspiring locals and their stories. In between, I share my top tips for your own Scotland trip and how to follow in my footsteps. So lean back and enjoy. Let's travel to Scotland. We may have just wrapped another season of Wild for Scotland, but I couldn't let you finish the year without another story to enjoy on a brisk, wintry walk or over a dram by a roaring fireplace, even if it's just the one on Netflix. I started writing today's story as a bonus episode for our Patreon supporters, but as I was writing, I realised it should really be shared with as many people as possible. This is Over the Rattigan Pass. Back in September, I went on a sailing trip up the Caledonian Canal. We were supposed to sail on the west coast, but after severe storm warnings, the owners of the boat decided to stay inland and explore the fresh waters of Loch Oich, Loch Lochy and Loch Ness instead. After my trip, seeing that I was already quite far up in the highlands, I decided to expand my trip and explore even further north. I wanted to spend some time exploring the road to Skye, and make a list of stops to recommend in my itineraries. Then I'd stay on Sky for two nights and visit places on the Slate Peninsula, a relatively quiet corner on this busy island. But the universe had other plans for me. I spent the day on the road, stopping, as planned, at scenic viewpoints throughout the Great Glen and also Glen Shiel. The heavens opened and closed as the strong winds pushed the clouds onwards and upwards. 
I reached the little cafe, a chocolate of Glenshiel, just as the rain started again, and hid away with a cup of hot chocolate to make a plan for the rest of the day. I had hoped to take the tiny Glenelg ferry across to Skye. It's the only remaining hand-operated turntable ferry in the world and runs throughout the summer season. I'd taken the exact same route on my first trip to Skye, exactly ten years ago. It would be a great way to mark the occasion. And so I turned left on the old military road and followed signs for Glen Elg up a steep and winding mountain road over the Rattigan Pass. I stopped at viewpoints overlooking the Five Sisters of Kintail, a mountain range towering over Shiel Bridge and Loch Duich. At the top, I briefly considered parking for the night to wake up to those views and continuing onwards to sky the next day. But there was still plenty of daylight left and I'd easily make it across before dark. The descent to Glenelg was just as exhilarating as the drive up the pass. The tall trees of the forestry plantation gave way to sweeping views of the glen, the sea and the Isle of Skye beyond. Sunshine and rain battled for my attention, opening up and concealing views as I dropped down into the glen. At a crossroads, I turned right, heading towards the ferry rather than further into the little village. The sea was wild. White horses were prancing on top of the waves, and gusts of wind had me clutch my steering wheel even tighter. The final approach to the ferry was steeply downhill, and as I turned the last bend, I could see the ferry out in the water, and a woman on the pier shaking her head at me. I stopped, rolled down my window, and heard her say, Sorry, but they've just pulled the ferry. It's too windy. Disappointed, I made my way back up to the ferry cafe to regroup. I got a coffee and started talking to Ian behind the counter. He's a commercial photographer who had taken a year off to work and live here in Glen Elk. He agreed that I could park overnight in the ferry car park and hopefully the boat would be back on tomorrow. Sheltered from the rain, I made dinner and watched darkness fall as I read in my sleeping bag. Tomorrow would be a different day. The night was rough. It was my first time sleeping in the back of my car, and while it was spacious and warm, the wind kept me at the edge of my mattress. I could hear the rain lashing against the blacked-out windows and feel the gusts of wind shake the car from side to side. I prayed that my handbrake would hold through the night. And of course it did. The next morning, it was still windy. Ian got me back inside for a coffee, and we were soon joined by Callum, one of the skippers of the ferry. I could tell by the look in his face that I would be disappointed again. The ferry was still off. For a moment, I thought about just going home, accept my losses, and make my way back to Glasgow. The weather wasn't going to improve any time soon. And while I could have driven to Sky via the bridge, I really wasn't excited by the prospect of coastal walks in this weather. I could barely see Sky in the distance, even though I knew it was just 500 metres away. That's when Callum and Ian started telling me about things to do right here in Glen Elk. I should visit the military barracks on the edge of the village. They were ruined now, but were built in 1725, along with the old military road across the pass, linking the village to General Wade's road. 
through the highlands. Next, I should drive up a single track road and visit the remains of the Glenelg Bros, two Iron Age roundhouses right next to the road. A third one was located a bit further up the glen. I'd have to park at the road end and walk along a track to reach it. If I felt hungry, I could stop by Dunn Brewing, an organic beer brewery in the glen. They've got a small pizza business on site. It should be open today. In the afternoon, I could drive down another single-track road to reach Arnestdale. It would be a scenic drive and a great place to spot wildlife. In the evening, I could always stop at a Glenelg Inn for some food and drink. That's a perfect day in Glenelg. Their enthusiasm for the area was infectious, and so I decided to follow their advice and spend another day here in Glenelg. I began my adventure exactly the way they had told me. I stopped in the village to visit the barracks and drove up the glen to walk to the brochs. Only at ten minutes into my walk to the farthest broch, a river ran across the path and I really didn't feel like getting my feet wet. I turned around and drove back to the middle broch. It had started to drizzle as I got ready to explore, but by the time I had reached the towering remains of the roundhouse, the drizzle had turned into a downpour. It was still too early to stop by the brewery, so all I could do was stand under a tall tree and wait. Eventually, the rain eased off and allowed me to wander inside the broch. I could see in between the double walls and climbed up some steps to reach the first floor. From there, I could see up and down the glen, a vantage point for whoever lived here. When it was time, I made my way across the road to the brewery. I ordered a half pint of their organic lager and a pizza from the wood-fired oven. While I waited for my food, Anna, who was working behind the bar, came into the barn across the courtyard and lit up a small fireplace. We got talking, and I told her that Ian and Callum had sent me. I was on an unexpected adventure, and would be sticking around for another night. You should come to a music night at the Cayley House then, she said, and continued to tell me more about it. Twice a month, local musicians meet at the Glen Elg Inn for a music night. But whenever there are five Fridays in a month, they also meet at the Cayley House, a village hall in Corrin, one of the villages down that scenic drive to Arnestdale. She told me that it's possible to park there overnight for a donation, so it would make for a great stop on my trip. I didn't have to think twice about what to do next. I ate half my pizza under the watchful eye of the brewery dog and got back to my car. I spent the rest of the day exploring the local area. The ten-mile drive from Glenelg to Corrin was scenic just as Ian and Callum had told me. Intermittent sunshine dipped the hillside into a golden glow. The bracken had started to die back for the winter, its orange leaves shining bright against the still green grass. The road led through woodlands and high up into the hillside. I could see sky in the distance and knew that the small isles, rum and egg, wouldn't be far behind in the mist. As I kept going, the mountains of Neudart came into view, that remote peninsula that can only be reached on foot or by boat, from here in Arnestdale or from Malague over on the other side. 
I drove slowly on the winding single-track road. Not necessarily because I expected a lot of traffic, but you never know. As I turned a corner, I was glad I went slowly. A big stag was standing on the edge of the road. It spotted me and moved quickly. A few steps and it was hidden among the trees. Only that I could still see it. I stopped my car, rolled down my window, and for a few precious moments we stared into each other's eyes. I reached Corrin and the Keighley house with yet one more friend out there in Glenelg. The Cayley House is a village hall for the communities on this side of the single-track road. But it's also a heritage centre that tells the history of these communities throughout time. On panels in the hall, I read about the people who lived here and how they were driven from their land. I ate the rest of my pizza, sitting on a bench, looking out at Loch Horn. Many people come here to hike Bin Skrihal, which towers above the Cayley House or to get a lift across the water and hike the peaks of Neudart. But I was content just looking at them as darkness started wrapping around me. Soon, I was no longer the only car in the car park. More and more people arrived as inside the Cayley house, the music began. There were two women playing the fiddle and the mandolin, a baron player, a piper, and a young woman with a banjo. Many more people joined without an instrument, just joyfully listening along to the tunes. As did I. There were modern folk songs and Gallic oldies. Nothing was planned, but everyone did their best to join in. Then came the time for the fiddler to tell a story, and she chose to tell us the story about the witches of Kintail. I later learned that she worked the school and had heard the story at a storytelling contest for local children. A few tunes later, I took the leap and told the story of the Whale of Mull. It goes like this. A long time ago, when the people of Mull lived off the sea and the land, they were dependent on the produce they could grow and the fish they could catch. One year, though, the crops failed, and the storms were so bad that the crofters and fishermen could not fill their larders for winter. As the months progressed, many people went hungry. But there was an old man with two sons in Bunessen. They were great fishermen, and decided that they would head out, even if just the smallest window in the weather would allow it. And one day... They did. They launched their boat and rowed out to sea. All day they went in search of fish, but catch them they did not. There came a point when they knew they had to return back, empty-handed, when on the horizon the old man spotted a large fish. No, a whale, floating on the surface. It was enormous. A whale is risky prey, but catching an animal of this size would feed their entire community for weeks, and then some. And so the old man and his sons turned back and rode towards the whale. They got closer 
and closer, when all of a sudden the whale opened its mouth and swallowed them whole. The old man, his two sons, and their entire boat. Inside the whale, the young men started panicking, but the old man remained calm. He called over his sons, handed each of them an oar, and took out a sharp knife. He went over to the side of the boat and cut a hole in the whale, then walked across the other side and did the same. He told his sons to each poke their oars through the holes he had just cut, and together they rowed. They couldn't see where they were going, but they kept going nevertheless, until they could feel that the whale had stranded on solid ground. They managed to open the mouth of the whale and emerged, who would have known, at a very familiar beach. And right enough, they were greeted by the men, women and children from their village, praising them for their bravery and skill. And the whale fed the village for the entire winter long. After a few more tunes, I retrieved to my car. A local woman had offered me to stay in her house, but I was quite excited about spending another night on my own. I slept well, lulled by the smooth sounds of the sea, awoken only by the eerie roars of stags across the water and deep in the glen. The next morning, I started the long journey home. Heavy rain kept falling onto the road and would shroud the five sisters of Kintail, the mountains of the Nevis Range and the peaks of Glencoe in misty clouds. But first, I stopped by the Glenelg Ferry one last time. I saw the boat was finally out at sea again. I met Ian at the cafe and told him about what I did the previous day. And I thanked him for encouraging me to stay for this unexpected adventure over the Rattigan Pass. I hope you enjoyed this surprising journey to Glenelg in the Scottish Highlands. It was a trip that reminded me of my spontaneous backpacking trips back in the day, and I hope I'll have many more unexpected adventures like it in the future. And with this, I send you off to dream about your own trip to the Scottish Highlands. We will be back with new episodes of Wild for Scotland sometime in the new year. Make sure to hit subscribe, follow us on social media, and sign up for our newsletter so you never miss an episode. If you enjoyed this episode and others before it, consider joining our Patreon community and taking a more active role in supporting the creation of this podcast. Wild for Scotland is part of the Tremula Network, adventure and outdoor podcasts off the beaten path. The show is written and hosted by me, Kathy Kamleitner. Thanks to Fran Tarowskis, who's the co-producer and editor and does the sound design. Michelle Payne and Anesu Matanda Mambingo are supporting us with social media and transcripts. Podcast art is by Lizzie Vaughan Knight, and all original music is composed by Bruce Wallace. Until next time, when we travel to a different place in Scotland.
If you're still here, listening all the way to the very end, it means you've probably got your hands full. So let me take this opportunity to remind you that I don't just write immersive travel stories. I also plan unforgettable itineraries for Scotland. And it's never been easier to follow one of my routes. Head to watchmesee.com forward slash shop to browse my ready-made Scotland itineraries and turn your travel dreams into reality.